Okay, so now we're going to uh, be getting into finally meeting Judith. Uh, and um, she's um, uh, going to show up here in chapter seven. But just to kind of remind you of a few things um, about um, our story, we know this great war machine has been churning and, and chewing up pretty much everything in sight. They finally come to their to their last battleground, which is uh, the Jewish people um, who are ensconced up high, uh, you know, in the area of the Judean highlands. There's many mountains uh, that if you're down in the desert valley, which isn't far as the bird flies, but it's like a completely different biosphere. You're down in the Jordan Rift Valley. You, you, you're down there in a howling desert, but also you've got very tall mountains that you have to go over to get up into the Judean highlands. And uh, therefore, the, the people of the Jews are very well protected up there, uh, surrounded by these mountains. There are only very narrow passes that they can get through. Um, and so we, we start to see that uh, there's a lot of um, um, <clears throat> protection, the natural protection they have. However, there's still this huge war machine. Now, we, the, the, ship, the, the, the focus shifts down into the Rift Valley where the army of Holofernes is encamped. And he calls for a kind of a military um, council uh, to talk about strategy in order to defeat the Jewish people and uh, to, uh, you know, invade uh, and, you know, and so on. Akior is one of the um, uh, Moabites, um, I'm sorry, Edomites, and he uh, <laughs> he has a very um, sobering report in the sense, but it's a very true report, and any of the people who lived there uh, in that region would know that the Jewish people were a formidable foe and not because so much of them, but because their God is very powerful. And he had, you know, a way of just being able to give them the victory, even when it didn't seem so. So that his thought was that as long as they were strong in faith, they would be hard to beat. And therefore, one strategy would be to sort of undermine that faith uh, in some mm -hmm. manner, and they would be easy to defeat. But if not, you know, again, he recommended uh, a fairly strong reserve and just outright invading until more was understood about how they were with their faith and what their internal strengths were. And uh, this, this put Holofernes into a rage because it seemed mm -hmm. like, you know, AQR was suggesting that I, Holofernes, would have a hard time defeating anyone. You know, so there's a kind of a, uh, you know, an, an anger that comes up with, uh, with him. Uh, that, you know, Holofernes is in a rage. Now, by the way, as we talked about, Akior had only done what he was asked to do, namely to give a, sort of some military intelligence, you know, and what's the history of this people? What's their weak spot? What have you? Uh, and which is exactly what he did. But again, it was not well received. Hmm? So um, we, um, we start to see that there's um, a, a lot of... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a, a lot of anger generated by this. And they eventually throw him out and uh, they bring him then to the base of the mountains. They want to put him up and uh, throw him into among the Jewish people. And they says, and we'll see you again to kill you when we show you what an idiot you are. Okay. So even as they take him there, the, 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 the small division of the army 
couldn't bear to get up anywhere close to the mountain passes. They were just greeted by a by a, a, a hurling of stones um, and 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 I don't, arrows and things from up above. And so even there, there's evidence right there that that um, um, our, our friend uh, Holdo Fernes uh, should have should have heeded some advice. And they're already getting evidence. These are indeed going to be a hard people to beat. Uh, but no, no. You see, there, 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 there comes a moment in in situ very often in, in war and other situations where the, the 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 emphasis shifts more to the politics than to the war. And so, uh, you, there are just certain things that you can't say to the generals back at headquarters, even if it's true. By the way, my brother experienced this in finance. You know, he, I won't give you any details, but he he was a big financial guy and a lot of these big corporations you've heard of, let's just say you, most of the names I would tell you would be very familiar to you. And he would often be told to write a separate report that kept out all the bad news from the, um, to, so that the, the, the CEO and others wouldn't know it and to kind of cook the books, so to speak, not, not in a, the actual official books. And, and, and because, and again, he re, would often refuse to do that and he'd move on to a different company after a while, it became very frustrating because he says, look, the numbers are the numbers and the, the guys need to know this. But no, you can't talk like that around here. And so this happens in corporations. It happens in military operations. It happens in countries. We know today that a lot of speech is forbidden. Um, you can't say the obvious that a boy is not a girl. Um, and and this, this sort of stuff sets up. In and in, in terms of spiritual warfare, which I'm always coming back to, we have to, I think, accept that this is part of what happens when corporations or nations or churches or what have you become a little too big for their riches, and they think that they're all that, and you can't in any way suggest anything's amiss, um, and um, you start have you stop having rational conversations about actual data and actual reality and actual history, and you supplant it with a bunch of you know, narratives is what the Marxists call them, narratives. Uh, you have to recite from the narrative. And, and if it doesn't fit the narrative, well, the hell with it. Just don't it, just don't use it or what have you. And so, again, that's why a prophet's, a prophet's lot is not a happy one. Prophets tend to get killed. Prophets tend to get thrown in jail. Prophets tend to uh, uh, run into all kinds of problems because they're saying stuff that people just don't want to hear. La, 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 la. And uh, nevertheless, um, it's a sign of weakness. You see, it's a sign that the the, the ruling class or the the chief, you know, the, the corporate structure or whatever, however you want to analyze it, whatever uh, whatever level, is is in a defensive posture, um, and uh, they're they're weak. Therefore, actual data doesn't interest them, and they become defensive and they attack the people with bad news. So Echior is in this place, and he's been thrown now. They were going to put him into the, um, get him up into the Bethulia, but uh, he, they couldn't. Uh, they were they were so rebuffed by the Jewish people there, the passes. So they just left him tied up at the bottom of the hill and they ran. And did they go back to Holofernes and tell him any of this? They did not. At least there's no evidence of it. And so again, this is a sign of weakness. Now, I've given you the example of Vietnam before, and I realize that there's a lot of Mm, debate even to this day about what went wrong in Vietnam, whether we should have even been there in the first place, all that stuff. But I think what one thing is pretty clear that uh, there, there just became a whole list of things you couldn't talk about, things you couldn't do, or things you couldn't suggest, uh, 
because it just didn't please the generals back at the Pentagon. And a lot of things, so the actual generals on the site were largely ignored. And um, again, there was just a whole litany of politics and things that you couldn't say, do, suggest, and so on. And so uh, this this war generally was was lost uh, because there was no real consensus about what to do. And again, a very small, uh, almost primitive country uh, was able to completely just, just send us running. Uh, we couldn't get out of there fast enough. You remember that awful thing that happened and we were trying to get all these people on the aircraft carriers and get them out of there and, and uh, the Viet Cong were coming down the trail. And anyway, so the point is, how do they do that small tactical army uh, that didn't dress in uniforms and use big weapons? They just knew how to sabotage and get in there. And it was death by a thousand cuts. OK, so again, all these things have afflicted now, I would argue, in this story. Uh, Holofernes, the, the, the general, uh, he's, he's big, he's braggadocious, he's got a lot of victories, uh, and um, he, he's refusing to listen to advice. And, and instead of rebuking the advice, he rebukes the person who gave the advice and um, doesn't even consider that this is, there's a lot of truth that he told a very long, he gave a lot of historical data to back up his point. So this is what happens. So I would only say this to you. We can feel overwhelmed. The culture is like a juggernaut is pushing on and all these crazy things are coming down the pike. But there usually comes a point when Satan and, and or certain aspects of his presence in this world overreach at some point. I think I could be wrong, but I think we may have been we may have reached a certain point of overreach with this trans stuff. I mean, people are really I mean, the the the, the anger. Um, and the just unreasonable demand that we accept something that's obviously not true is, is something of an overreach. And I think at some point there's going to be enough of a pushback that this will have to be uh, reconsidered. And um, so anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't know that, but I'm just saying that right now, I, I think enough people who aren't necessarily Democrats or Republicans, they're just ordinary people like you and me are like, What? You know, and, and the idea that, for example, I don't know if you heard that this um, this uh, satanic group called uh, um, the Sun, uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Responsibility or something. It's up. It's, it's, they, they, they're out there, you know, being honored by this baseball team. I forget the baseball team. And um, a lot of people are really angry about it. Um, but you'll notice again that there's also a lot of pushback on the other side. I, there was, I don't know what team or whatever, but a, a certain player apparently tweeted something that his owners didn't like. And uh, uh, he was told to, you know, to take it down and to issue an apology because he sort of said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be honoring this group that trashes the Catholic faith and ridicules nuns and uh, uh, treats, uh, treats them as, um, you know, and, you know, it, let's just say, I don't want to get into the details, but, this group, uh, they're, they're, they're drag queens and they dress up as Catholic nuns and it's lurid and sexual and um, it's very, very irreverent and blasphemous. And um, it's, it's something, though, that everyone's supposed to go, yay! And uh, this, this certain baseball player didn't say yay. Uh, he said, <laughs> maybe that's wrong. It's the Dodgers, anyway. <laughs> it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, okay. Good. And yeah. it's one of their top yeah, pitchers that was um, against it. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. At any rate, yeah, these are the kinds of things where there's a little bit of overreach. And people from varying different political views sort of say, hey, wait, this ain't right. So it, it's, it's not easily, you know, it reaches across some of the other, you know, divisions we have. And I think the trans thing is kind of heading in that direction, too. I think there's increasing anger at sort of this sort of foolishness that a woman who's trained all her life to be the best swimmer or the best gymnast or the best can just, you know, just have to step aside while some dude who um, calls himself a girl uh, who isn't a girl uh, steps up and just takes her place. And I think there's there's, there's enough, uh, I think, anger beginning to develop about it. So we'll see. But my point in saying that I don't want to spend a lot of time in the politics, but we have to talk a little bit because I'm trying to show you through this book of Judith, there's a lot of principles involved about that we see that are taught to us about spiritual warfare. And one of them is that the devil isn't always a perfect tactician. Uh, the <laughs> devil at times overreaches. The devil at times picks on the wrong nation or person. Um, and again, uh, of course, obviously, um, <clears throat> perfect example is the crucifixion, right? Going after Jesus, thinking you could kill out Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, it's like... Uh, Part, you know, pardon the expression, but one of the fathers of the, put, fathers of the church put it this way. He said, Christ put out his body there like bait, and Satan bit down and exploded. You know, grace just, you know. And so, again, there's that moment of overreach that we should learn. It can it often does come, maybe not exactly when we expect, but that there are some self-correcting things. And again, the point is stay steady, keep preaching the faith. It may be out of season right now, but people do eventually, at least some, come to their senses. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep reaching, and uh, don't easily uh, give up, okay? All right. Because we're not Amen. dealing with a perfect opponent, only one who's well, rather well-armed. Okay. Uh, now, that was chapter six um, I was reviewing for you. Um, I'm sorry, that was chapter five. I think now chapter six. Achior is was dumped there at the city, and we, um, I don't want to really cover much of that chapter by way of review, but they receive him into the city, they get some intelligence uh, from him about what's happening in, in the other camp, and we start to see then that, um, uh, let me just double check something, but the, the problem now comes in chapter six, where there is a, um, a great deal of um, trouble, if you will. Uh, I'm sorry, this is chapter seven I'm in. Um, we, we, we read it last week, but just to summarize, the uh, Holofernes orders his army to move. Now, I want to um, put up a little map for you that might just give you, some, I don't know, you know how well you know these maps and stuff, but let me, let me just pull up one here. Hang on a second. You know me, I have my technical challenges here at times and of course it's not there and why is that um hang on a second um and pull this one up all right i think that'll help if i can get back to the other screen
Monsignor, you muted yourself. Still muted. Okay, can you all see this map? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know how I muted myself. I don't even want to know how, you know. All right. All right. So um, if, if you see my little error, I mean, arrow here, here's Jerusalem. Um, here's the Judean desert out here. See the river coming down here, the Jordan River? Down here, it's, it's hard to see on this map, but there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, up here, it's all forests and, and so on. But down here, it's ro roaring desert. And you've got a large range of mountains coming through here. And the, the camp, uh, Hall of Fairness is camped out here in this region. Bethulia is north of Jerusalem. It's hard to read that probably, but Bethulia is it's, it's there where my little arrow is. And they're out here. Notice the tribes of Amnon, Moab, and the Edomites are encamped out here too. This was, they had already been conquered. Now, uh, they've now been conscripted into the army and must fight for Holofernes. Um, and he, he, they're going to go ahead and just siege Bethulia by just rushing through the passes, overwhelming them. That's the plan, okay? Meanwhile, up here in Bethulia, we see they're, they're in uh, great, great peril right now. So let's just do some quick review of that chapter. I'm going to stop sharing, come back to all of you. All right. Now, um, <clears throat> So Holofernes orders the entire army to begin to make a move. Uh, now, the, the, again, the astonishing numbers here, their forces numbered 170,000 infantry and 12,000 mm -hmm. cavalry, so 200,000 troops, basically. Um, and they, um, they're encamped near Bethulia out in the desert. All right. Now, <clears throat> the Israelites saw this from their high perch, and were overwhelmed and greatly distressed, and they uh, they um, uh, they were terrified. And yet it says they all seized their weapons and they lighted fires in the towers and they kept watch throughout the night. So courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's the but it's the capacity to act in spite of fear. And so they're showing some courage here. Uh, we're going to see that that is tested. But um, nevertheless, despite uh, this fear, they they lay hold of their weapons. In spiritual warfare, we also have to battle in spite of our fears and our senses of being overwhelmed. We have to seize the weapons that we do have, right? First of all, our heart, uh, our love for God, for the truth, uh, our willingness to suffer. And we have to confront error and we have to confront sin, the voice of truth. And uh, and again, people mm -hmm. are able to suffer. And uh, we may feel fear, but we have to act in spite of that fear. That is courage. Okay. So... <clears throat> Then it says here that they led the cavalry out and they were about to ascend into through the passes uh, to get into the city um, and, and so on. But the Moabites and the Edomites gathered and they, they went to Holofernes and they're about to talk a little bit like Achior does without, without praising the Israelites. He says, uh, so I'm just reading from verse nine, if you have your Bible open to chapter seven of, of Judith. Master, please listen to what we have to say that there may be no losses among your forces. These Israelite troops do not rely on their spears, but on the heights of the mountains where they dwell, for it is not easy to reach the summit of their mountains. Therefore, Master, do not attack them in a regular formation, and not a single one of your troops has to fall. But stay in your camp and spare every man of your force. Have some of your servants keep control of the spring of water 
that flows out at the base of the mountains. For that is where the inhabitants of Bethulia get their water. And then when you seize that area, in other words, uh, thirst will destroy them and they will surrender their city. Meanwhile, we and our troops will go up to the nearby hilltops and kind of keep watch. All right. So again, they're basically saying, don't do a frontal attack, lay siege to the city, um, which is a common military tactic to lay siege to a city and uh, just kind of let them starve and fall apart, you know, and uh, they'll eventually come out. They'll beg you to, to feed them. Okay. So these words, unlike Acures, please hold a fairness. And so he ordered the proposal to be carried out. So the Ammonites moved camp with, uh, with 5,000 Assyrians and they encamped in the valley and they held the water supply and the, and the springs from the Israelites. Um, the Edomites mm -hmm. went up and camped on the hill country because they knew the area. And uh, they kind of kept watch off in the distance uh, at the city of Bethulia. All right. Now, inside the city walls, the Israelites are crying to God and they're disheartened. Now, here's where, again, you have to see that, again, uh, when things get tough, um, uh, some people just they, they collapse. They can't keep the faith. Even if you go to the early church, you'll find that not everybody was willing to die a martyr. A lot of people, unfortunately, did cave to the pressure and they did burn incense at pagan shrines and uh, they avoided death or they avoided other fines or jail uh, and um, they got on with their day. Um, there were only there were some in the church who did fight this and they became the martyrs. But not every Christian, you know, stood up and bravely went to martyrdom. Um, and uh, this became something of a. Um, of a, a bone of contention in, in after the persecutions lifted, where you know there was a lot of talk among the bishops to re, re, readmit these people to the church, and there were some who said, "Hell no! Look at me! I lost my eye. They put my eye out. Or look at me! Uh, you know, I, I was horribly beaten. You know, all these scars on my body. You know, and you're going to let them back, and I had to suffer. And so there was a great debate in the early church about." these things when the persecutions lifted, okay? So these things happen that in a, when a group is under pressure and persecution, some want to flag and just bum out and, and uh, they want to, you know, basically surrender. Others want to stay and fight. So here's what you're going to see described here. Verse 19 is where I am, all right? <clears throat> the Israelites cried to the Lord their God for they were disheartened and all their enemies had been surrounded and there was no way of escaping for them. The whole Assyrian army, infantry, chariots, cavalry kept them thus surrounded for 34 days. All the reservoirs of the water failed the inhabitants of Bethulia and the cisterns ran dry so that on no day did they have enough water to drink for their drinking water was rationed. Now, you notice again, they're, they're talking about, the, the, it says here, the, the reservoirs failed and the cisterns ran dry. So what's the difference between a reservoir and a cistern? Well, Basically, a reservoir is like a large pool of water, like a lake in larger areas or in a city. It might be a very large fountain-like structure where a large amount of water was stored. Um, that, that Those ran dry. And then every house would have a cistern. You know, because in that region, even to this very day, there is not one drop of rainwater that goes to waste. Almost every house captures rainwater through the gutter and brings it down into a cistern beneath the house. Uh, in this country, when you build a house, you first make the foundation. In the Holy Land, when you build a house, you first lay out the cistern. All right. Where am I going to store the rainwater in the rainy season uh, so that I can then use it? Now, that's not usually what they call potable or potable water. 
it's it's um but they use it for uh you know either the animals or they use it for uh cleaning things like clothes and other things like that so um they, but every drop of water is precious in this region where you have six months where there's not a drop of rain and then you have a wet season okay that's the mediterranean climate all right so you've got both cisterns and reservoirs that are failing now um verse 22 um, the, the children were listless and women and youth were fainting from thirst and were collapsing in the streets and the gateways of the city with no strength left in them. So all the people, including youths and women and children, went into a crowd to Uzziah, who was the, uh, I don't know, we'll call him the, the mayor, okay, of the city. And they cried out loudly before all the elders. And, you know, this sounds pretty, you could hear something like this even today in a, somewhere in the world. Uh, but they all cry out, make God judge between you and us. Uh, you have done us a grave injustice, not making peace with the Assyrians. And now there is no one to help us. God has sold us into their hands by laying us prostrate before them, thirst and other exhaustion. So now summon them to deliver the whole city as plunder to the troops of Holofernes and all of his forces. We would be better off to become their prey. Although we would, although we would be made slaves, at least we would live and not have to see our little ones dying before our eyes and our wives and children breathing their last. We adjure you, namely, we put you under oath by heaven and earth um, by, and by our God and the Lord of our ancestors who punish us for sins of our ancestors that this very day you should do as we have proposed. And all the assembly with one accord broke into shrill wailing and cried loudly to the Lord their God. Okay, a lot of histrionics, a lot of drama. Okay. Now, a, a couple of thoughts come to mind here. Uh, first of all, they're concluding that God is punishing them. That's questionable. Um, but um, fundamentally, it, it, remember the, how the Jewish people mourned and wailed when they, Moses finally led them out of Egypt, where they've been 400 years in slavery. And when they every time they ran into trouble, they start bellyaching just like this. Well, you know, it would be better to be a slave and have our flesh pots and our melons and our leeks and onions like we had back in the Holy Land, I mean, in the in the Egypt, than to be out here in this desert. Well, yeah, we're free, but I'd rather be a slave and eat well than be free and not eat well. You know, and so they despise the freedom that they long to have, and um, there there comes this moment where people often prefer, because of fear, prefer slavery or other terrible things, uh, so at least they can live. And again, we talked about this last week. If you have not found something worth dying for, you are not fit to live. <clears throat> if it's just about staying alive, ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Okay, sorry, sorry, yeah. but I digress. Um, the, um, um, you know, at some point, we have to be willing, if we really value life, that uh, that we want, we are actually willing to die for it, so that others can have it, you know, and have it more abundantly. But uh, as I say, these things escape many people. Courage is uh, one of the lesser-known human virtues. Um, it exists only in a few, and um, and and they they often um, are the few that have to kind of rescue us. But but again, they're having this kind of meltdown. I you know I'm sympathetic. You know, I've never had to be without water for that long. I, I know that it's uncomfortable. But at, at the end of the day, it's um, it, this is a moment where they're being tested and they are largely failing the test. All right. Up till now, 
They've been brave. They've been courageous. But now they're failing the test. Now, there, there, there's something wrong here, though, even with up till now, they've had a response to this crisis. And I, I wonder if any of you thought what that, what, yes, they're showing faith, but it's a kind of a faith that, um, well, I'm not going to talk to you in riddles. I'll just come out and say it. It's a sort of a passive faith. We're going to sit here and wait for God to rescue us. So we're, in, we're the city is besieged. Instead of really coming up with ways of undermining the enemy or doing something or, or finding ways to get water, we're going to just kind of sit here and wait for God to rescue us. Now, that's a kind of a passive faith. Um, God always wants our five loaves and two fishes. And it may be like, well, what good is that with so many? But again, he still says, bring me the five loaves and two fishes. Now, at some point, what are they doing here? Well, they're kind of just sitting there waiting for God to do something. And we'll see that even this is one of the things that Judas is going to rebuke them for. Uh, she says, you know, you're just sitting around like a, like a bunch of pansies just waiting to get killed. He says, what have you done to try to undermine the enemy to get into their camp? Have you done anything? No, we're waiting for God. So you see, that's a kind of a passive rather than an active faith. A lot of times, remember, we talk about this sometimes in Advent, that we were waiting on the Lord. But it's, it's not supposed to be a passive waiting, like you're waiting for a bus. You're sitting there, jaws kind of hanging open. Is it here yet? Uh, not here yet. Is it here yet? You know, that's a passive waiting. There's a different type of waiting, though, that we might we sometimes use in English. It's like waiting on tables. You know, it's it's an active waiting that looks to to take care of the the, the job. Uh, it's it's not always you know it's always preparing and looking for the next thing how to uh, how to take care of what needs to be taken care of. So like waiting on tables, we call this like a waiter. Okay, they're, they're not passive, they're active, you see, and they're anticipating. Too often, we just kind of sit here and we just sort of expect God to just take care of everything. And um, so at some level, we have to see that um, this simple passive waiting is some, there is some faith they're showing. And notice again, early on, we read in the chapter, they, they got their weapons and they prepared. And now after 32 days, they've just kind of been waiting and they keep waiting for the enemy to take the initiative. Well, here's another big problem with the church today, y'all. You know, we always let the enemy set the church to the battle. We use their vocabulary. We, we're talking like these crazy words like gay or trans or, uh, you know, uh, women's health care. Or, you know, all these terms that they use and they, they try to force us to use. We're always answering questions instead of raising questions. We're very passive. We wait for trouble to come to us. But Jesus never said, okay, go into all the nations and wait for trouble to come. He, didn't That's say right. that. he said, go to those nations and evangelize them, teach them. I want you to set out on the offensive. But we're always mm -hmm. on the defensive in the church. Oh, well, we're not really that bad. Or, well, we don't really mean it that way. You know, we're always answering. I'm not saying it's never, we should never answer questions. But, you know, gosh darn it, when do we ever turn the tables and ask them, you know, to, to answer some questions, you see? Uh, whoever they are, mm -hmm. the point is that in the spiritual warfare, we tend to let the enemy, both the devil and the culture, you know, that he's inspired, just actively set the terms. And we, we end up becoming more of a thermometer rather than a thermostat. A thermostat sets the temperature. Mm -hmm. A thermometer just records it and says, ain't it awful? Mm -hmm. And so somewhere along the line, you know, we have to, we're always answering our opponents instead of questioning them. Now, Judith will raise <clears throat> this passive 
waiting and rebuke her fellow citizens for it. You know, take the war to them. Well, if you won't do it, I will. Me and my slave girl, within within these five days, you gave God. So that's, you, you never give God a timetable. But you just you don't just sit on your ass either. Pardon my French. But you don't just sit there and wait for God to act. You need to get out take your five loaves and two fishes and tally forth and you bring the war to them. See? Yeah. Yeah. But we never do that today. We're very, very passive in the church. Okay. And I say never, but almost never. All right. So when do we ever go out and think about this? I'm going to go take some territory from the devil. Hmm? I'm going to take back mm -hmm. what the devil stole and recover Amen. it. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Amen. As we just, we're still sort of reviewing because we read chapter seven, but we went through it rather quickly. But um, verse 30, Uzziah said to them, remember, he's the governor of the, what do you call him, the, the mayor, says, courage, brethren, let's endure this patiently five days more for the Lord our God to show mercy toward us, for God will not utterly forsake us. Now, that all sounds lovely, right? Judith will rebuke him for talking like this, right? He, if these days pass and the help does not come to us, I will do as you say. And then he dismissed the people, and the men returned to their posts and the walls and the towers of the city, and the women and the children went back to their homes. Throughout the city, though, they were in great misery. All right. Now, it got, he's done something he shouldn't do. He claims, whether he claims to be speaking for God, but rather he says in five days, we're going to give God five days. And if God doesn't do what he needs to do in five days, then we're just going to give up the ghost and say, man, he didn't come through for us. Well, hmm. You see, now, at least he's a little bit more courageous than, than you know, the townsfolk. But <laughs> one instant surrender at this point. But now, you know, he sort of gave God five days. We'll see that um, Judith says, you know, you gave him five days. You, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to come back before those five days with the victory in my hand. Literally, she'll be carrying the head of all the parents in a basket. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day... <clears throat> this sets us up now for the entrance of Judith into our story. The book is named for her, and here we are, uh, eight chapters in, and she's finally going to step on the stage, all right? <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, let's make sure. Did I get the right chapter here? Did um, we Chapter chapter seven, yeah. Now we'd be chapter eight, right? Um and that's, uh, it starts out in those days, Judith, is that, are you all there in your books? Okay, I want to make sure that we're all in the same chapter. All right, now, yeah. um, the um, the details here, I mean, there's a lot of names, kind of like reading a Jewish telephone book here, so uh, I'll continue to read here, um, but um, we're going to get a little bit of her biography, but we'll get past this pretty quick. So in those days, Judith, the daughter of Moriah, son of Ox, son of Joseph, son of Oziel, son of Elkiah, son of Ananias, son of Gideon, son of Raphaim, son of Ahitub, son of Elijah, son of Hilkiah, son of Eliab, son of Nathaniel, son of Samiel, son of Sardai, son of Simeon, son of Israel, heard of this. Uh, what, what did you say? Uh, well, Judith heard of the troubles in, in the town. And um, her husband, Manasseh, of her own tribe and clan, had died at the time of the barley harvest while he was supervising those who bound the sheaves in the field, and he was overcome by the heat. He collapsed on his bed, and he died in Bethulia, his native city, 
and he was buried with his ancestors in a field between Dothan and Balaman. Judith was living as a widow in her home for three years and four months. She set up a tent for herself on the root of her house. She put sackcloth around her waist, wore a, a widow's clothing, and she fasted all the days of her widowhood except for Sabbath eves and Sabbaths, new moons, eves, and new moons, feast days, and holidays. In other words, she fasted except for holidays and, and, and Sabbath. She was beautiful in appearance, very lovely to behold. Her husband, Manasseh, had left her gold and silver, male and female servants, which means slaves. We love to water that term down, right? Livestock and fields that she was maintaining. No one had a bad word to say about her, for she feared God greatly. Now, let me take another risk here and see if I can share my screen. And let's see. Okay. What am I sharing here? Okay. So do you see a good picture of Judith here? Oh, sorry. Uh, can somebody say, yes, I lost you all? Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. So yeah. here's just an artist's depiction of Judith. Um, there's some issues with this historic, I mean, the way this is painted. She probably would have had a veil, especially as a widow um, and so on. But obviously, you know, it's meant to just kind of capture that she's beautiful, uh, but you can... She also had, you sort of see a, a look in her eye like, uh-huh. You know, um, life would be a lot easier if men weren't running the show. You know, kind of look at <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, um, I would say this, that um, it's interesting. There's sort of a paradox about women uh, from the Bible times that if you notice, let's go to the foot of the cross. Only John makes it there of all the men, but but a number of the women were there. Mary, of course, his mother, um, and Mary Magdalene, um, Salome, and another Mary. So there's four or five women there and only one man. There is actually a sort of a paradoxical truth. That is to say, women had less, especially if they were widows, um, had little, very little to lose. You know, and it's hard to intimidate people who don't have much to lose. And um, so you'll find that at the foot of the cross, there were those women who didn't have much to lose. Men had careers, men had to maintain business contacts and you know, all that kind of stuff. So they're much more afraid to go up against the Romans and look like a supporter of this guy who's up on a cross. But the women are there and only John made it. The rest of them are all bugged out and they're hiding and protecting their hide. They're hiding to protect their hide. And... Um, and, and but women had a little bit more mobility at times like this um, and could often heroically step forward. So this is, I think, the question for Judith. Um, who is she and why is she so courageous? And well, she's just lost her husband. Um, she has wealth, but um, she's um, kind of uh, waiting on the Lord, so to speak, you know, to, to find out, you know, what, what there is for her to do. A lot of widows were, who were wealthy, were beneficent. Um, she's apparently a good businesswoman. So I'm guessing she supplies jobs for some of the local inhabitants. Um, but uh, as I say, she's, um, she's um, got a mobility. She's a, considered a widow, um, which uh, is generally a sign of poverty, although not for her. And uh, they have a little more mobility than both either single women who have to be under the watchful eye of a man or married women who are under the watchful eye of their husband. She's able to kind of come and go and do things on her own. 
And um, so she's got some mobility and less fear. And uh, she steps up and says, you know, you, you guys, you're sitting here waiting around on God. You know, it's time for you to get off your butts and you know, do something yourself and trust that God will be with you. So that's her basic message, as we'll see. Um, but it's a question for you and me in terms of spiritual warfare. And that's just for us, but also the church is do what do you have to lose? Do you have too much to lose? Mm. Most of us do. We know that if we go up against this world in a form of spiritual warfare and we speak the truth um, and, and refute error that we're not, and we don't recite from the proper narratives that we're going to find ourselves in some trouble. We may not get promotions. We may have off the job people who tell us you can't say that, um, take that off your tweet or uh, whatever, um, mm -hmm. or uh, you will participate in this or that. And we just go along because we're scared. We don't want to lose our job. People are depending on our income and so on. This happens, I think, to the church too. We have too much to lose. We have big lands, properties, buildings, schools, hospitals. A lot of things are depending on us kind of being a going concern. And we lose uh, our, if you will, our ability to uh, adapt to what Jesus called us to, the, whole, the spirit of holy poverty. Now, poverty does not mean destitution. But it means that you you live in a way that's much more trusting of God, that you don't have a lot of stuff stored up, that you don't have lots of assets and things you're protecting, because otherwise they, they start to own you. If you own and the more and more you own, the more and more it owns you. And you have too much to lose. Mm -hmm. You compromise very quickly. And a lot of us are in tough situations today. You actually have children, grandchildren, others who are depending on you, not losing your job, not going out there and being the hero and stuff like that. But I think, so I, I, I admit to you, it's very complicated, but there comes a point in the church's life where we have, quote, too much to lose. And this is why right now in the church, for the most part, I'm sad to say, I say it with shame, but lawyers pretty much run the show. The bishop would have all, all the ideas he wants about reopening the church during COVID, but by God, until those lawyers are ready to sign off on it, he wasn't doing nothing. And uh, hmm. likewise, again, I would think twice if I were to act in a way that would threaten these buildings that belong to you all, the church, you know, our property, our patrimony. I mean, I'm not going to just say to you, I'm Mr. Hero. I would not even think twice. I'd just go out there and fight the fight. Um, there's a lot of stuff riding on spiritual warfare. And so this is why at the end of the day, we have to keep reminding ourselves that compromises with this world will never end there. Uh, until every last ounce of your integrity is gone. You have to decide, is there something really worth fighting for? Is there something really worth dying for? And if not, have you not also already begun to die? Have you not already, are you not already in a way dead? I think I told you Martin Luther King gave that statement, if a man hasn't found something worth dying for, he's not fit to live. And he goes on to say, a man may go on and compromise and be quiet and not say anything. And he may live on for another 20, 30, 40 years, but really he died back when he wouldn't confront the evil. Okay. So, I, and again, I realize these are complicated things, but guess what? Most things are complicated. And frankly, also most things are pretty simple. We like to make them complicated, you know, like we kind of thrive on, Ooh, who's to say, you know, things you know a lot of opinions out there we we love it we cultivate it in a way now again i'm not here to give you lectures that I, i'm not ready to live either i mean i i'm not saying i've got all this figured out
But increasingly, I think that as we go forward as a church, that's why we already know that most people have fallen away. Let's be honest. Only 17% of Catholics go to Mass on Sunday. You know, the rest of them are irrelevant. They may call themselves Catholics. We may have to do their funerals or whatever. But at the end of the day, they're not with us, all right? And even the 17% of us that are left on a Sunday morning are pretty well divided about a lot of stuff. And uh, it's going to, there's going to be, these are going to be times that are going to really test true Christians uh, from those who are just kind of lip service, okay? And it's, it's going to get tougher as we go uh, because it's getting harder to, more. the list is getting longer of things you can't say, things you can't do. And um, so we'll have to see how it unfolds, but I think we're going to find um, a lot of disclosure going on, namely that there are very few really willing, as Jesus said, to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, and um, as I say, it's, uh, it's good. We need to pray a lot for fortitude and for courage. Now, look, it doesn't mean abandon prudence. You don't have to go looking for a fight. You don't have to say, well, where's the lion who can, I'm going to go look and try to find a lion who will eat me up. You know, you can, you can avoid trouble where you can, but at the end of the day, there's going to be times where you're going to just be directly confronted. You, are you coming to the whatever pride thing or not? But yeah. if you don't, you might get fired. You know, I, I would say at that point, you know, it might be time to just say, well, I'll see you in court. Monsignor, uh -huh. in regards to that, I confronted my boss and I told him I would not be participating. And he said, oh, no problem. We got it covered. I said, thank you, Father. <laughs> I said, you were willing. <laughs> you were willing to do it, right? You were willing to cover, I mean, to, to confront him. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that's the, that's the and important I did. And I said, I'm not right. doing it. Yeah, amen. Amen. But it, it worked out. <laughs> That's great. And God is good to those who are good. But, you know, as I say, thanks be to God, he backed down. But there may come a day when we all, some of us here will confront things and they won't back down. And then the question is, I wouldn't just, you know, I, I would make it hard for them. Okay. I would fight and say, well, I'll see you in court. Oh, and they might, you know, they might get away with putting you on some kind of injured reserve list or, you know, getting you off the payroll. But at the end of the day, uh, I see them in court. Uh, Liz. When I um, bought a, a small crucifix to put mm -hmm. on my desk, yeah. uh, as part uh, just just because I, at lunchtime I did the rosary mm -hmm. and I said my, my prayers to everybody else. With the mm -hmm. lunch, my supervisor came by and said, why are you always at your desk for lunch? Don't you need a break? And uh, what's <laughs> that on your desk? Yeah. You know, it really wasn't she cared about me uh, always at my desk. She was trying to get me to get rid of my crucifix. And I said, well, this is my where I like to meditate and, and mm -hmm. do my prayers. Uh, and um, long story short, uh, she invited me over to her um, to her house uh, in Virginia Beach with yeah. another director uh, for a weekend mm. and tried to make me go to her uh, uh, non-denominational uh, church. I said, well, I don't mind going with you as long as I go to Mass on Saturday. Yeah, right. She was angry. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I said, I, I said, I'll, so, so 
I found a, a church on Saturday when mm -hmm. they they were going to get crystals mm -hmm. and getting their palms red on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, anything to stop me from uh, you know my Catholic faith, and mm -hmm. I said, I'll, I'll I don't mind sitting at your church on sun Sunday, but I'm going to see Jesus on Saturday. <laughs> but you know, it's just yeah. I, I didn't say angry about what you do why are you so mad about me yeah. you know well we often find that people don't mind being rude to us but they're <laughs> often surprised if we if we're in any way like raising any questions at all that they you know so at, at some level look i think we could you know i think my main point for all of us is that you may escape uh i don't know if your children and grandchildren will and they're going to be sorely tested and um We'll have to see. Now, again, there may be some overreach that the devil's doing, and it will begin to bring some of the pressure down on some of this absolute demand to conform. Uh, that that lady might not have had trouble with your cross. She might not have had trouble with a rainbow. Somebody put up on their workspace. or something. I don't know, but I'm going to guess that the outrage is rather selective uh, on the part of people who are upset about things. So, you know, I was like, there's this kid who got arrested and arrested, but it, uh, he got sent out of school because he had a shirt on about something there are only two genders or something. Now the kids can wear shirts that talk about the LBGTQIA plus plus plus. That's okay, but you can't wear the shirt that says the opposite. And you're like, okay, you know. But the this this the, the duplicity doesn't seem to occur to them. That's why I'd be at least with the schools, I'd be a big fan of just saying uniforms always. None of this whatever tag days that this nonsense. But you know, I was always so so sympathetic with Catholic parents. You know. They spend all this money by uniforms for their kids. And then the stupid school says, we're going to have a tag day on Friday. They get to wear whatever they want to wear. And you're like, and, and then, you know, it's all kind of, they want to buy this and buy that. And, you know, oh gosh. So uniforms. Uh, but I, I can, I don't know that we need to have battles one way or the other in, in the schools about these things. I think that uh, we can just say, look, everybody wears a uniform and let's, let's just not make this a battleground for slogans. But they don't want it that they want to have outrage at certain things and they want to be permissive about others. And that's just not the way you run it. But anyway, enough said. Getting back to our text, um, we see that uh, she is, um, um, you know, uh, we, we've already met her now. She she's now about to speak. And there's some important things that are said here. So I'm in verse nine of chapter eight. OK. Now, when Judith heard of the harsh words that the people, discouraged by their lack of water, had spoken against their ruler, and all that Uzziah had said to them in reply, swearing that he would hand over the city to the Assyrians at the end of five days, she sent her maid, who was in charge of all her things, to summon Uzziah, Tabris, and Charmis, and the other elders of the city. When they came, she said to them, listen to me, you rulers of the people of Bethulia. What you said to the people today is not right. You pronounced this oath made between God and yourselves and promised to hand over the city to our enemies unless within a certain amount of time the Lord comes to our aid. Who are you to put God to the test today, setting yourselves in the place of God in human affairs? Now it is the Lord God Almighty who uh, you are putting to the test. You will never understand anything. You cannot plumb the depths of the human heart or grasp the workings of the human mind. 
you cannot then then how can you fathom God who made all these things or discern his mind or understand his plan now again this is important for us because sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer because by that suffering we are more perfected or we can be um we others are, are affected you know i mean our lord suffered to save us and he's asked us to take up a cross not a pillow uh you know not a bromide or something that makes us you know immune to pain he's had to take up your cross and follow me so that there is there is people get upset with this they, they just want the prosperity god but there is a time when God says, I think right now for you, a certain amount of suffering is important, not just for you, but for others. So take this suffering and offer it to me uh, for the salvation of souls and for your share in the cross. Or again, as St. Paul puts it in Romans, I'm sorry, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, and then we read this a lot at funerals, for these momentary afflictions. And they are afflictions, for these momentary afflictions are producing for us a weight of eternal glory, way beyond comparison. So that suffering helps produce glory. Now, again, you say, well, God is mean, he's cruel. Why does he do it this way? I, all I know is he offered us paradise, and we said we wanted a better deal. Okay. So here we are. So before we run and blame God, but in, in the meantime... Now, I'm going to get even further with this. Sometimes God wills some people to die that others may live. This happens all the time with people who join armies, who are police officers or firefighters or, you know, engage in very dangerous activities so that other people can thrive in some way. There are just going to be times where we're asked to make sacrifices. In the book of Revelation, it says to the people of that time who were suffering the siege of Jerusalem, says, you know, if someone is slated for, uh, you know, for exile, off to exile he goes. If someone is slated for martyrdom, off to martyrdom he goes. If someone <laughs> is slated for jail, off to jail he goes. In other words, the, there is a crucible of suffering that we're in, and there's going to be some aspect of it that God is going to uh, not cause, but permit, and within enough limits that his grace can sustain us. But at the end of the day, this idea that God just doesn't ever want me to suffer, or, or if I am suffering, he must have handed me over. Is you know she's saying here you can't plumb the depths of God's wisdom. You know you say oh this is what's best for me. Uh, this is the way it should all come out. You know that the bad guy loses, I mean wins, and I, uh, I mean loses and I win. Well, I mean talk, go to Good Friday and see how does that look. It looks like the bad guy won. You know again the Lord is saying if you stay with me in this. You're going to see that you will win, but it's not always going to be in little charming ways that you think. And like not every problem, like your, your, your movies are solved in 90 minutes when our hero vanquishes the foe and everyone else is triumphant. It's just life's just not that simple. And it's, it's going to involve some degree of suffering. And none of us should like it. If you like it, I'm going to worry about you. But when it comes, we have to say this is part of what we're to do. Now, does God want us to try to overcome the suffering? Yes, very, very often he does. There can come times when we know that, look, my life is going to be different, like a person loses a limb or, you know, they're, they're, they, they've had a very serious, you know, they're, they're very old and they can't do what they did when they're 28. I get that. There's going to be adjustments, but we can always pray. We can always turn to God and offer our sufferings. We can always uh, take a heroic stance somewhere in all of this and not give way and not lose heart. Okay. 
you know, again, I always go back to the example of Dr. Martin Luther King, but I, I was always very strongly edified by his life. And, you know, one day before he died, you know, he says, you know, I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And he said, I may not get there with you. He says, you know, longevity has its place, but I may not live long. I don't, I don't, he didn't know he was going to be shot within hours, but he knew that that he might have to continue to suffer so that others could be helped. And that even if death came to him, that the battle would continue. And that we said, we as a people will get to the promised land. But some of us are going to have to suffer and die to get there so others can get there too. So, you know, this is what she's getting at here. You know, you all want to have it all worked out so you don't have to suffer. And you can just kind of sit here and wait for him to come to the rescue. And life isn't that way, right? Now, moving into verse 15, I got to keep my eye on the time, okay? For if God does not plan to come to our aid within five days, I'm in verse 15, by the way. If he, if he does not plan to come to our aid within five days, he, is, he has it equally within his power to protect us at such times and places as he pleases, or to destroy us in the sight of our enemies. Do not impose conditions on the plans of the Lord our God. God is not like some human being to be moved by threats, nor like a mortal to be cajoled. So while we wait for the salvation that comes from him, let us call upon him to help us, and he will hear our cry if it pleases him. For there is not arisen among us in recent generations, nor does there exist today any tribe or clan or district or city of ours that worships God's maids by hand as happened in former days. It was for such conduct that our ancestors were handed over to the sword and pillaged and fell with great destruction before our enemies. But since we also acknowledge no other God but the Lord, we hope that he will not disdain us or any of our people. If we all of you, what's that? I'm hearing a noise. Okay, yeah. If we are taken, then all of Judea will fall with us. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, verse 21. If we are taken, then all Judea will fall. Our sanctuary will be plundered and God will, be, will demand an account from us for their profanation, for the slaughter of our kindred, for the taking of exiles from the land, and for devastation of our inheritance. And he'll hold us responsible among the nations. Wherever we are enslaved, we will be a scandal and a reproach in the eyes of our masters, and our servitude will not work to, my, to our advantage, but the Lord God will turn it to disgrace. So in other words, if, if it's really, we're really being punished, then it's just going to go anyway. But verse 24, she continues, therefore, brothers, let us set an example for our kindred, their lives depend on us, and the defense of the sanctuary and the temple also rests with us. We're on the front line, in other words, she's saying here in Bethulia. There's a lot of Judea right behind us that's going to fall if we don't take this stand, right? Besides all this, let us give thanks to the Lord our God for putting us to the test as he did our ancestors. Now, notice, it's a, she gives some examples here. And you notice these are not just guys that passively waited around for God to come and serve them a meal. Recall how he dealt with Abraham and how he tested Isaac and all that happened to Jacob in Syria and Mesopotamia uh, while he was tending the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. He has not tested us with fire as he did them, but to try their hearts, nor is he taking vengeance on us. But the Lord chastises those who are close to him in order to admonish them. Um, then Uzziah said to her, all that you have said, you have spoken truthfully and no one can deny your words. For today is not the first time your wisdom has been evident, but from your earliest days, all the people have recognized your understanding from your heart's disposition, for your heart's disposition is right. The people, however, were so thirsty that they forced us to do for them as we have promised and to bind ourselves by an oath that we cannot break. 
But now, since you are a devout woman, pray for us that the Lord may send rain to fill up our cisterns. Uh, then we will no longer be fainting from thirst. Now, again, God bless the guy, but he's saying basically, okay, tell God this is our this is our list of what he needs to do. Please have him initial at all the little things and sign it at the bottom and don't forget to date it. See? All right. So, yeah, um, you know, you're devout. You know, in other words, uh, we, we, we want God to fit into our box. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, uh, I think I've quoted Father Pat Smith to you before in this regard. We're always asking God to bless our endeavors. Why don't we just sometimes, do we ever just stop and find, well, what is God blessing and then go do that? You know, we're always saying, Lord, bless my little project. Maybe we should say, well, wait a minute, look what God's blessing over there. Maybe we should go do that. Okay. But again, you see how we're very territorial. Okay. This is my project. Bless it, Lord. Okay. Now, so uh, verse 32, Jesus says, listen to me. I, I'm going to perform a deed that will go down from generation to generation among our descendants. Stand at the city gate tonight and let me pass through with my maid. And within, within the days you have specified, before you will surrender the city to our enemies, the Lord will deliver Israel by my hand. Now, you must not inquire into the affair, for I will not tell you what I'm doing until it's been accomplished. Okay, so before I just read the conclusion there, again, you see, she's saying, look, I'm not going to argue with these guys. They're, they're all locked in fear. They, they, they got They think of God as an ATM or some kind of a, a machine they can press the right button and out comes the can of cola they want. Um, I'm not going to win this with them. I'm just going to, look, I, I need to be let out of the city. I'm going to go take care of this because you all are sitting on your butts and you're waiting, you know, kind of passively for God to act. Um, but I, I actually, I actually have, you know, been praying and I think God wants me to step out and resolve this with my, with what I do have. All right. So she says, you must not inquire into the affair, verse 34, for I will, I will not tell you what I'm doing until it's been accomplished. So Uzziah and the ruler said to her, go in peace and may the Lord God go before you to take vengeance upon our enemies. Then they withdrew from the tent and returned to their posts. All right. Now. I'd hope to get a little into chapter eight, but before we do, or before we may or may not, but let me remind you, there's an old preacher's story that goes something like this. And it's a true, it's based on a true story, but like most preacher's story, it's a little embellished. Um, the, um, there was a man years ago who put a big tightrope across, you know, right near Niagara Falls. And he would go up there and do these daring feats of walking across the falls on, uh, on this tightrope. And uh, he would even like push wheelbarrows or, um, you know, he'd do all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, going across. And back. And he says, uh, so one day he shows up and he says, uh, there's a big crowd waiting because he's, you know, amazing them. And he says, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow right across this? Oh, we believe, we believe, we've seen you do it before. We believe. He says, all right. He says, who will be the first to get in? <laughs> Crickets. And so <laughs> the, the, the old preacher saw here is faith is about getting in. It's not just watching somebody do something. Faith is about getting in yourself. In other words, it's, it's getting in the wheelbarrow. It's like we say we believe God can do all these things, but are we willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Are we willing to get on the edge of the spear? Are we even ready to be at the hilt of the spear and support those who are out of the... What are we doing? You see, do we just sit around and wait for God to 
another another way of putting this is that some people think that trust in God means something like this. Don't worry, just keep praying. God will eventually give you what you want. That's not trust. Mm. That's telling God what to do. Um, but trust is more like this. Lord, whatever you want in this matter, I'll be okay with that. Now, we, you know, it's a, you go ahead and tell me your preference. But at the end of the day, Lord, whatever you really do want, I'll be okay with that. Now, okay doesn't mean jumping for joy. It means that I, I know that I'll be okay in both senses of the term. I'll be okay. And I'll be okay with it. <laughs> In the sense that I'll accept that that's what you want and that's what's best. Um, so I'll tell you my preference, Lord, but I want to, I want you to know I trust you uh, to ultimately make a good decision. It may be necessary for me to not get exactly what I want um, or to get it now. I may need to get it later. or It may even be necessary at some point that I die um, to really receive the blessings you have for me. Um, and uh, whatever you want, Lord, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. And uh, I never really had a brush with death, except except when I had that COVID, and and um, I knew I was kind of in bad shape. And and the doctors, thank God, they didn't tell me till uh, past the really bad stuff. But they said the first few days, you know, it didn't look so good. And um, mm -hmm. so, um, but I, I kind of was in that place where I was sort of aware. And I said, you know, God, I think there's probably reasons I should stay. There's probably a few people that I need to help out still, and what have you. Um, but if you want to call me, I'm okay with that, you know, and I, I didn't really worry about it. Uh, I don't know if that was a real brush with death, but um, it's, but the closest I've ever come. And so I think that um, when it comes to a big thing like that, but sometimes it's harder to go on living, you know, okay, but you want me to do something challenging that I'm afraid to do. I don't know, you know, that kind of a thing. So Again, I would just say to you that somewhere in here, Judith has a, a, an important thing for us in spiritual warfare, which is that we need to learn how to fight the battle the Lord has given us, with the tools he's given us, and not worry so much about all the immediate outcomes, but just do what we know we've been told to do. And we tend to say, well, what good is that? I've been doing that, and nothing seems to be coming of it, and, and so on. And as long as you're clear that the Lord gave you to, uh, a work to preach the gospel to your family, or to friends and all that you know, there's a certain group you know he sort of assigns you to courageously go about that work, even with discouraging results or lack of support. Continue to do what he asked you to do. And um, this is a um, uh, part of part of an aspect, if you will, of spiritual warfare. All right. And um, if God gives us a different way that suddenly he wants us to do, he'll make that manifest enough. But I know surely you and I struggle because we try to put on a decent Sunday school. And so many of the parents, are some are there, some aren't. There's not really a lot of buy-in, at least not the kind of buy-in we'd like. Maybe the parents don't go home and become the skilled catechetical masters we want them to be. They don't even bother to read Bible stories. Sometimes, some of them do. But I just know that the Lord's told us to do this for now. And if he gives us some other biggie wow program that really seems to work and everybody can snap in and... But that's not really what's happening right now. I think he expects us to faithfully stay in a conversation with people, including our kids and their parents, and continue to um, build the kingdom that way. But it's going to be very slow and painful work at times. It's no fun to build the foundations. You know, we like to build the big high clear story and the beautiful windows and things, but uh, sometimes we have to do the grunge work too. You know. Anyway, I don't know. That's just an example that comes to me. I just happen to see you looking at me there. <laughs>
Okay, well, um, so I think already we've met Judith and we realize that she's got quite a good, strong personality. <laughs> and uh, I've known a few strong women in my life, I want you to know. <laughs> Some of them are on the on the on the thing right now. Um, I have a sign, and by the way, in Kimberly's office that most of you have heard of before. It, it says in there, do you want to talk to the man in charge or the woman who knows what's going on? <laughs> and let almost every husband say amen. <laughs> but um, all that's just a way of saying we got us a good, strong Jewish woman here. And she's not going to make this. She's not going to let those, uh, uh, you know, those uh, the Syrian army uh, give, give, too, give too much guff. She's going to go in there, but she's not going to fight this with guns and tanks. And all that kind of stuff, all that jazz, so to speak. She's going in there like King David did with his slingshot and seven smooth stones, and he's going to win the day. And likewise, she's going in there with her charm and uh, her, her talents and her very, very best flattery. <laughs> oh, other fan is you are so fine. And uh, she's going in there with a little bit of her Jewish wine and Anyway, she's all getting her perfume and her clothes, you know. I mean, I'm, I, I don't mean to, to mean that. I'm just saying, though, she uses her feminine charms, uh, but not in an unholy or uh, unchaste way. And uh, she is uh, able to get her way in there and uh, she's going to decapitate the entire Syrian army. And within those five days that they can put a limit on with God, I'll be back before you're dumb five days, she says, you know. You unfaithful people. Okay. So, again, um, she tried reasoning with them a little, but she could see they're just in this kind of like, we don't, we had to do it because the people will riot. You know, well, that's a great leader there. Man, Uzziah, man, you're strong, dude. You know, but anyway, so you start to see this is where we are. So, again, a, a good, strong woman steps up and um, she, uh, she, she fills the bill, so to speak. And as we get into, I'll just read you the first few lines of chapter eight. We won't spend any time reading them today, but um, let me just pull them up for you. Hang on a second. Chapter nine, Monsignor. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter nine. Um, hang on here. Yeah, chapter nine. So Judith, felt she, she prays and she makes a, a rather lengthy prayer uh, into chapter nine. And uh, that's basically the bulk of chapter nine. Um, and then after her prayer, she in, in chapter 10, she sallies forth, so to speak, and we'll see how she insinuates herself, if you will, into the um, um, into the uh, army of Holofernes right up to the uh, right up to the tent of where Holofernes was. And um, within two or three days, she has the thing resolved and she's coming back home with the head of Holofernes in a basket. Okay, so talk about going to hell in a handbasket. Old Holofernes is going to do that, right? right? So yeah, he's going to regret the day that uh, he went up against the Jewish people. Okay, so um, all right, um, comments or questions? I think that I hope you find these things encouraging. They are challenging, but I do think that um, fortune does favor the brave, and there is a bravery here that. Uh, in a way, Judith has a lot less to lose. She's already lost her husband. Uh, she only uh, doesn't seem to have had any children. And um, she does have this wealth, but to her, it means very little. You, you, really might have, you might have missed a little point I read there. 
in the chapter, but it said that although she had all these big places, she basically wore sackcloth and lived up on the roof uh, and, and kind of in a widow's mourning uh, lived a holy life. She wasn't all that enamored by all the wealth. She was a decent businesswoman, but it would seem more for the sake of those who depended on her than um, than because she cared about all that stuff. So anyway, there's a certain freedom that we have to come to in life where, where our lives are filled with attachments. And part of spiritual warfare is knowing those attachments and beginning, getting more and more free of them, you know. Monsignor, mm -hmm. um, I just want to say, <laughs> I just thank God for me coming on tonight. I haven't been on for a while, but going through a lot of, you know, uh, situations on the journey. But um, yeah. when I saw Deborah's uh, email earlier about uh, we were continuing in Judith. Mm hmm. And I'm like, okay, woman, a woman. Let me let me see what's going on here. I know right. what the women do in the Bible. So, but um, <laughs> I I just am so thankful that um, that we can hear from the Word of God in the times that we're in, mm -hmm. how we can hold on to His Word, and how we can how it just reinforces, you know, everything that he would have us to do. Um, and that his grace sustains us, you know, even in the times that, mm -hmm. you know, we may not feel, feel it, feel it, but, um, you know, and, and then she just, you know, she knew when, she knew when to hold him. She knew when to fold him. And then she just depended on God. But I, I'm just so, um, I'm just so thankful to be on this, to get this message and this lesson tonight. Yeah. Just to reinforce, you know, how we just have to get in the barrel or get in the boat or mm -hmm. stay in the conversation, as you say, with, with God to get through everything. And that Second yeah. Corinthians, you know, I, as a lector, I've read that, you know, this momentary afflictions, you know, is producing. So I don't know. It's just a very fruitful uh, Bible study tonight. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. By the way, Judith is what we call in the old Latin. There was an expression for a woman like Judith. It was mulier fortis. I can show that to you. Mulier Fortis, a, a woman of bravery or a woman of strength. In other words, we say today, strong woman. Strong woman. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well. Yep. Um, yep. My senior. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I want to thank you for the teaching on tonight. It's very inspiring and uh, uh, really rich rich for my soul. I, I really appreciate it. Um, uh, things you mentioned is um, so important. Um, um, I'm working on me, ask the Lord to help me to stand more in the midst of adversity, uh, standing on my convictions, believing on what I have read according to the word of God and standing on the convictions in the word of God. Yes. Uh, we need to I know I need to speak up even more when uh, 
uh, works of injustice and works of unrighteousness are being presented before me. I need to have more of a stand yeah. uh, when it comes to that. And it's like it's like you said, like you taught tonight, you know, there is going to be opposition and yeah. there is going to be suffering. So each and every one of us, we have a decision to make, even in our family, with our family members, you know, but whatever we do, we do it in love. And it's not um what what the Lord will have us to say to our family members, those who are straying away. Sometimes it hurts. Mm-hmm. The truth hurts sometimes. It yes. really does. But when you really love a person and you're really concerned about their soul and their well-being, you can't help but to speak the truth in love. And mm-hmm. contrary to what the world says, homophobic and all this crazy foolishness, it's not hate speech. Mm-hmm. It's love. It's actually love speech. Yes. Because God doesn't want any of us to perish, right. but He wants us all to come to repentance and be saved. That's that's His desire for each and every human being in this earth. And um, but you know we know that the, the enemy is out there. He's going to work what He's working, yep. and God allows Him to do that. So we just got to do what we can to win souls for the kingdom of God. But I, yeah, I thank you for the teaching on tonight. It's such a blessing. Really a rich blessing. Yeah, bless the Lord. Yeah, all right. Okay, well, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up then with somebody that can lead us out and we'll plan to continue the story. Well, then I'll lead us out. Well, then I'll lead us out. So there's a, I got a muted, there's an echo. Okay, good. Now, uh, Almighty God, we have uh, encountered then um, acts of bravery, but even, even in the brave acts of faith of Israel, there's some limitations that still need a purification. Um, kind of a passive waiting rather than uh, an active going forth with trust and confidence, getting in the wheelbarrow, so to speak. So we see that Judith exhibits that, and uh, she leads, because of her great faith, she um, she leads uh, a great stealthy little battle, and she'll win the day, because not because of her, per se, but because of you working through her faith. So we thank you for the great gift of her, this picture of salvation, this picture of faith and trust, and we ask you, Lord, to assist us to be get increasingly free of some of the attachments that limit us and cause us fear. And we ask you to hear all of our prayers now in the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Love, Love y'all. God bless everybody. God bless you, Monsignor. All right. Thanks. Good night, everyone. Thanks. Good night, Thank everyone. You Good night. See you guys. Good night. See you later, guys. Good night. Talk to you later. Right. Good night. Stay in that word. Stay in that word. Keep loving Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Love yeah. Jesus. Good night. Right. Keep loving your neighbors. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Jeep.